If you've been with us this weekend, you know that we have been treated to a very special guest who has been speaking to us over the last 24 hours, and there is much for us to ponder and to continue to discuss as time goes on. This morning, we are welcome to have our guest with us again as she shares with us. Join me in welcoming, in, in welcoming to St. Wilfred's and Huntington Beach, renowned author, editor, lecturer, Phyllis Tickle. Bless you. Bless you. Thank you so much. Uh, uh, I have loved being not only Anglicanism, but Christendom in general around the world, uh, all of our fellow Christians are reading the same assigned lessons every day, uh, every Sunday. Uh, and the, the assignment for today, the proper assignment for today, has to do with a favorite story of mine, the story of Elijah, or really maybe perhaps with my, one, of my, um, one of the characters out of the Old Testament, out of the Hebrew Bible, um, that is uh, most central to our story. We don't tell Elijah's story much anymore. Uh, we don't tell it because for the last couple of hundred years, we've gotten really uneasy with the things we can't explain. And any way you put it, Elijah is a spooky story. Uh, and One of those things you can't explain is me. What? Your microphone. We need to get you on. We need to get me on? Oh, dear. Okay. I hope you mean electronically. Yes, oh, electronically. Good. <laughs> She's on. I'm on? I thought I was on. I checked it before I... Oh, dear. Now I can hear me. You poor people. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Goodness gracious. This is not good. This is a central story of the Hebrew faith. And, you know, maybe old Nick doesn't want it told again. Uh, but anyway. Anyway. There are many stories about Elijah. There, we, we, for all my laughing, if we were here at 5 o'clock this afternoon, we could still be telling Elijah stories. There are that many. Uh, and so I'm not going to even try to do that. You can rest assured. Uh, but the, the, the truth about Elijah was that his name means Yahweh is my God. Uh, and he just appears out of nowhere. Uh, we have no sense of his early history. Uh, he is full grown and already a prophet of God by the time we meet him for the first time. He's called the old Tisbite, uh, which would seem to indicate that he was from some place called Tisba or something. But there was no such place. Uh, we've never been, scholars have never been able to find it. And so Elijah, the old Tishbite, and we don't know why he was the old Tishbite, um, because there is no place like that. But nonetheless, he was very scary. Um, the people of Israel, he lived in the ninth century.
was full of wrath and righteousness. There's nothing worse than a righteous person. Um, you know, they're very unpleasant regardless of the century in which they lived. Uh, and, and as I say, he lived in the ninth century before Christ. Uh, and he lived in Israel in a time when Ahab was king. We don't know much about Ahab. He apparently was a fairly dull sort of person, uh, ruled by his wife, um, who had been a princess, and her name is Jezebel, uh, and we have done awful things with her name. We now use it to talk about women who wear too much makeup uh, for reasons that are less than honorable. Um, And so we have disparaged her. But in truth, she was a princess before Ahab married her. And she was a princess, not only for her father's house, but also as queen when she came into the house of Israel. And she was a priestess. She was, in fact, the head priestess of the religion of Balaam and had working for her or under her oversight some 450 priests of Baal. Uh, And as the years went on under her joint rule with with Ahab, uh, Israel became more and more corrupted by the worship of Baal. And so out of nowhere, here comes Elijah, uh, full-grown and ranting for God uh, in, in every way, and saying to Ahab, you have brought these people with your wife, you have brought these people into apostasy, and God now says that I will punish And I will punish by causing a drought upon the land for three years. And for three years there will be no rain and the people will suffer until eventually they cry out to me for mercy. And so Elijah, having heard the word of God, went to Ahab and said, there is a drought coming. It will last three years. And indeed the people will be brought to their knees with hunger and with starvation and they will pray once again. And having delivered that, something, either the voice of God or of common sense, said to to him, you better leave now because you've now delivered a message that won't make you necessarily popular. And so Elijah got out of there. Uh, And he went to a nearby wadi on the other side of the Jordan River, a wet spot. And he stayed there until the water dried up in the wadi. And after the water had dried up there, the voice of God said to him, go to Phoenicia, go to Zarephath. And there you will find a woman who will provide for you. And so he did. He left the wadi that had dried up and he went back across the Jordan over to Phoenicia and to the little village of Jerapheth. And there indeed, as he entered the village, he saw a woman gathering sticks, dry sticks. And he approached her and said, will you give me a glass of water? And she looked at him and perhaps realized he was a man of God and gave him some of the water that she had. And then having drunk, Elijah said to her, And now will you feed me? And she said, My Lord, I have nothing to feed you. I have only a little bit of meal and a little bit of oil in my cruet, and I am gathering now the last of the sticks so that I may go and make a fire and cook that material and feed my son and myself so that we may die. And Elijah, being a man of God, said, Feed me first, Uh, whatever that means. Uh, And... (laughs) And she said, yes, having very little to lose because all she had was this one meal. And so she cooked it for him. And he ate and then said, now feed your son. And she said, my Lord, I have no more meal and no more oil. And he said, look. And in the cruet there was more oil and in the vessel there was more meal. And she cooked for herself and for her son. Some five hours later, when they were hungry again, Elijah said to the widow, cook for me. And she said, my Lord, I have no more. And he said to her, look in the cruet. 
and indeed there was oil. And look in the vessel, in the bin, and indeed there was more meal. And then it began to dawn on her, he was a man of God. And so for the remaining three years, the remaining two and a half years of that time together, she continued to have only enough for one meal in her bin and only enough oil in her cruet. But every meal as it came around, there was just enough for the three of them to eat one more time. But it also came to be that during that time, while the son was healthier than any other boys in the village because he was being fed, he fell victim to some kind of illness. We don't know what. And his mother held him as he died in her arms. And as that son died, she put the corpse down and she went to Elijah and she said, Oh man of God, have you come to torment me that I should have hope and could feed my son and then only to have your God take him from me? And she was filled with anger. And Elijah, the Bible says, was filled with concern and confusion. And he took the dead boy upstairs to the roof, to a little room he had made up there for himself to sleep in, and put the boy on his pallet, laid him out there, and then got on top of him. And like this, in a cross-like effect, lying on the corpse, he said, Oh, Lord God, why have you done this? Oh, Lord God, hear me. And then he got down off of the bed and went over and prayed. And in a few minutes, he got back up and he lay across the corpse as he had spread it out this way and prayed again, Oh, Lord, my God, what have you done? And then he went back and prayed again. And the third time he got on the boy's corpse and he prayed, Now, my God, if it may be your will, restore to this boy your spirit. And the corpse began to move and the eyes to twitter and then the breath began. And Elijah carried him down and restored him to his mother. It is the first time in Holy Writ that we have any record of a holy man having brought back to life a dead man. It will not happen many times in the Hebrew Bible. And this is the first. And it was at that point that Elijah, I think, began to realize just exactly how intimately related his life was to the life of the God that he served. And so as the three years came to an end, he also came to understand from prayer to his God and with his God and with Yahweh, he began to understand that the drought was about to end. And so accordingly, the voice of God said to him, go back now to Jezreel, go back indeed to Ahab and say, indeed, it is almost over. And then say to him, how long will you and the people you rule continue to dance between two gods? Let us have a showdown. And so he said to Ahab, call your people, call your people to Mount Carmel. And on that place, we will, have a con uh, we will have a contest between my God and Jezebel's gods. Bring Jezebel, bring her priests, bring the people of Israel, and bring two oxen, and we will see what Baal can do. And so they gathered at daybreak on Mount Carmel. On Mount Carmel there were 450 priests of Baal. And there were two oxen, just as Elijah had asked. And so the priests of Baal took one of the oxen and they killed him and they cut him in pieces and they put the pieces up on top of the altar. And then they began their dance, asking Baal to come and consume this sacrifice, to accept from their hands the sacrifice of an ox and to consume it into heaven. By nine o'clock, nothing had happened. By 10 o'clock, Elijah is beginning to show his really unpleasant disposition by saying, gentlemen, you, mean, you really need to yell louder. Your God's taking a nap. <laughs> Good Bible. It's absolutely there. 
If you scream a little louder, you may be able to make him hear you. Nothing happens. By 11 o'clock, we read that the priests of Baal are beginning to slice themselves and cut open their own veins in order to put their blood on the blood of the ox, hoping therefore that, that the Baal will recognize their blood and will consume the ox. Nothing happens. Afternoon, Elijah stands up and says to the people what he had said to Ahab, How long, O Israel, will you dance between two gods? Now, give me that ox. And he takes 12 stones from the top of Mount Carmel, one for each of the tribes of Israel, and he stacks them together. And then he says to the people, now build a trough around the altar I have made. And they do. And he looks and says, deeper. And they make it even deeper. And he says, good. And he takes the, uh, the other ox and he slaughters it, just as the priests of Baal had done. And he cuts it into sections and he puts it on the top of the altar he has made. And then he says, bring me now four perkins of water. And they bring four great tubes, vessels of water. And he pours it on top of the ox that he has just slaughtered. And then he says, bring me some more. And they fill up the four perkins and they do it again. And the third time he says, bring me more water until the trough they have built is actually floating to the top with water. And then Elijah stands back and he says, oh Yahweh, Hear my prayer and show yourself to your people. And coming from the heaven, there is the fire, and the ox is completely consumed, and the people fall back in horror, realizing that they have not followed the true God, that it is the God of Elijah whom they should be following. And so, having had that experience, then again he shows his sweet disposition by saying to them, See those 450 people who have led you astray? Why don't you just kill them right here and now? And they did. Uh, and it was one of the great holy massacres, I suppose, of, of, of Scripture. Uh, so all 450 were, were put, were killed right there on Mount Carmel. And Elijah did many similar things, many, many stories about, about what he did. But in, in good time, we are told, he became weary as he got older. He became a tired old man, and he began to say, let me die now, Lord. Let me indeed, let it be over. Let my prophecy, my time of prophecy be over, uh, and let me die. And he began to understand from God that he was never to die. And it was very discouraging to him that death would never be granted to him. And so he went at last to Mount Horeb, or we call it Mount Sinai, to the place where the law was given. And he went to Horeb and he climbed up to the top of it, saying, if indeed I cannot die, at least let me see who you are. And there on Horeb, the fire came and the lightning came and there was a huge wind and then there was an earthquake, louder and louder. And finally, when it was all over, there was silence. And in the silence, Elijah was allowed to see God. And indeed, he was not allowed to die. And so, reassured that he had indeed seen God, he climbed down from Horeb. He went and appointed Elisha to be the prophet after him, and he began to train Elisha. And then you get to what was our proper for today. You get to that time when it is over for Elijah, and he takes Elisha, and they begin the journey that will be Elijah's final journey on earth. And when that journey comes to its end, suddenly chariots of fire come down out of the sky with fiery horses and Elijah gets on the chariot and is taken up from the sight of Elisha. 
And that is the last we hear of Elijah in the Hebrew Bible, except for the very last chapter of the Hebrew Bible. And I want to read the whole thing to you. It's the last chapter of Amalekite. And it goes like this. See, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that comes shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor, nor, nor a branch. But for you who revere my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, and they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the teaching of my servant Moses, the statutes and ordinances that I commanded him at Horab for all Israel. Lo, I will send you the prophet Elijah before the great and terrible day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of parents to their children and the hearts of children to their parents so that I will not come and strike that land again with a curse. And so, if we were Jewish instead of Christian, we would still be waiting for Elijah. If we were Jewish instead of Christian, included yesterday with what's called Havadah, with the final hymn of Sabbath, Hail, O Queen of the Week, we praise you come. We have enjoyed you come back to us next week. And the last line of the Havadah, and may it be granted, O Lord, may it be granted to us that Elijah will come this week and bring with him Messiah, son of David, to save us. If we were Jewish instead of Christian, we would celebrate the Passover. And the last act of the Passover is the final meal, the sacred meal, the Seder. And at the Seder, as we sat down, before we sat down, we would go open the front door just a little bit. And after we had sat down, we would pour five cups of wine. And the father of the family would drink each of the first four cups as he spoke the words of the four parts of the covenant. But the fifth cup would be left full. And when the Seder is almost over, the last thing is this child to the door. Elijah has come. And as the child goes to the door, the father drinks the fifth cup. When the child comes back, Elijah came and you didn't see him? Uh, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's a little like some things we do with our kids. But anyway, uh, and of course, if you've been the youngest child for four or five years, after a while you begin to get the hang. Um, you still have to go through the charade. Uh, if we were Jewish instead of Christian, uh, at some point in the next four or five months, somebody would birth a baby boy. Uh, and because we are close to that family, we have an obligation to choose to go watch the circumcision on the eighth day of that child's life. Uh, and so we will gather and circumcision right where the child is, right where the, circum the baby is laid out to receive the procedure of circumcision, there will be an empty chair. No one will sit in it. It is a great one, kind of like our Episcopal, our bishop's chairs, a great chair usually. It sits there empty the whole time because it's waiting for Elijah to come. For it is understood by the Jews that no one can become a son of Israel without Elijah's presence. And so though they cannot see him, they leave a seat for him to sit in. And so it is that Elijah is in many ways uh, the great mystery, if you will, of Judaism. And it was so for 800 years 
until about 2,000 years ago. And 2,000 years ago, there was a man named Zechariah. He was a priest of Yahweh and served in the temple on a rotating basis. He was married to a woman named Elizabeth, and she was barren, and they had no children, and it grieved them seriously. And they had prayed over and over again that a child might be given. And it came about in due time that Zechariah drew from the lot, the priestly lot, um, he drew the, uh, the notion that he was to be the priest uh, who was to be assigned to the Holy of Holies. And so, standing in the Holy of Holies, offering the incense, Zechariah heard a vision, and he heard the words of God. And the words of God, standing, uh, sitting there in, in the holiest of holies of the temple, the words spoken to Zechariah were these. Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you will name him John, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Uh, for he was, uh, and even before his birth, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit. He will turn many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. With the might and power of Elijah, he shall go before him to turn the hearts of parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Elijah. And so John the Baptist is conceived and he is born and he goes into the wilderness and he dresses in animal skins and he wears a belt, a belt of leather and he preaches and in good time his cousin Jesus comes and he baptizes him and the voice says this is my beloved son this is my son and John understands that indeed he has baptized Messiah but then in time John is imprisoned and he grows sad and he begins to wonder, was it a dream or was it right? And so he sends his disciples to, to Jesus and they are to ask in John's name, are you indeed Messiah? Are you the one who was to come? And when it was all over, when they had asked Jesus if he were indeed the Messiah, Jesus turns to all the people gathered around and says to them this word, for all the prophets in the law prophesied until John came. And if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. Now let everyone with ears hear. And he is not to say that again to them until the Mount of Transfiguration, where near the end of his ministry, he takes James and John and Peter and he goes up the mountain again. And there he is transfigured. There as those three apostles look up, they see suddenly on his one right side is Moses and on his left side is Elijah. And they understand that it's Elijah. They recognize him. They know he's there. And then the transfiguration happens and the voice comes down again. This is my beloved son. Hear ye him. And so they come down off of the Mount of Transfiguration. And as they do, Jesus says to them, as they were coming down the mountain, Jesus ordered them, tell no one about the vision until the Son of Man has been raised from the dead. And the disciples asked him, why then did the scribes say that Elijah must come first? And he replied, Elijah is indeed coming and will restore all things. But I tell you that Elijah has already come. And they did not recognize him, but they did to him whatever they pleased. 
so also the Son of Man is about to suffer in their hands. And then the disciples understood that he was speaking to them about John the Baptist. That is to say, has come, and Elijah will come again. The Abrahamic faiths began with Abraham. Israel and Judaism began with Moses. Christianity begins with Jesus Christ. Elijah is the bridge between our two faiths. The mystery of Elijah is the mystery that connects us and that will connect us to that which is coming. It is a bad, sad, and weak religion that can be reduced to logic and to reason. Every religion must have its mysteries. And this, perhaps, is the greatest one in Christendom. Elijah has come, and Elijah will come again. And we join our Jewish brothers and sisters in saying, O Holy Lord, may Elijah come once more, and it will be the end. Amen.